0: Good morning. How is everybody? Let's see. So, we are doing a devotional series on what we believe. I'm talking about the Trinity. You might have heard me talk about that a little bit last week. We're going to dive into it a little bit more in depth today. And I'm going to give you guys an overview of where do we get this from? Why do we believe it? Okay. And the people going after me are going to dive a little more into depth in the different parts of the Trinity. Now, Most of you know the Trinity as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think just generally, um, big C church, right, just the big Christian culture, it's something we tend to shy away from and not talk about so much. Not necessarily from the the stage with a microphone, but more inside conversations, right? No one feels confident to bring that up or talk about that with people. Why? Because it's confusing and we don't want to look like idiots, so we don't want to talk about things that confuse us. That's fairly common. So it's a, it's a confusing thing. I hope to clarify some of that confusion for you. I'm not going to answer all your questions, and it's still something that even at the highest level is difficult to grasp. It's not like, I, I get it. I understand it completely now. There's no more to be learned here. That's so not true. Even our, um, you're talking about God and the physics of God himself, and that's incredibly challenging and difficult to, to wrap your head around completely, right up there with the idea of the universe being infinite, right? So all these things are challenging. But we'll start with where do we get the idea of the Trinity, okay? One verse people tend to point to uh, quite frequently is Jesus' baptism. And just the reason for that is you, you see all three of these figures in one scene, right? So I'll go ahead and read that, Matthew 3. It's recorded in all the Gospels, but here's Matthew 3. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Um, someone thought it was important to notate that the Spirit was descending like a dove, not as a dove. So the Spirit was descending as if like a dove, coming to rest on him, Christ. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So you have Christ, Jesus, the Son being baptized. You have the Spirit descending, and you have the Spirit, or the the voice from heaven calling out, right? So you seem to have three figures in one verse. So that's one example, and some people leave it there, but there's also a a bigger context to understand of why we believe in a trinity, and that's that Jesus proclaims to be the Son of God. And you would think, okay, well, why does that... Three. Why is that immediately three and not just two? Well, that's because the context of which Christ does that is a context in which they likely already believed in sort of a a duality between God. They would think of Yahweh as we think of the Father, and then His Spirit. And they had a a file folder for these two. So I'll read a little excerpt about um, a rabbinical scholar that... um, did a great work about this. Let's see. 25 years ago, rabbinical scholar Alan Siegel produced what is still the major work on the idea of two powers in heaven in Jewish thought. Siegel argued that the two powers idea was not deemed heretical in Jewish theology until the second century after Christ. He carefully traced the roots of the teaching back into the second temple era Siegel was able to establish that the idea's antecedents were in the Hebrew Bible, specifically in passages like Daniel 7, 9, Exodus 23, and Exodus 15. So why is that important? Um, it's important to understand that the, the concepts of like the, the spiritual physics of God, if you want to think about it that way, right, seem to change over time in traditional Judaism. And I mean traditional Judaism as it pertains to whatever the modern time happens to be, you know. If, um, so we have an idea of the Godhead in Judaism alone being made up of, you know, the Father and the Spirit or Yahweh and His Spirit, however they would think of that, and that changing over time. And it would appear that that actually was declared a heresy around 200 years after Christ because of Jesus, because that they would say, okay, this idea of, multiple in one. The Christians are taking that. They're trying to say that Jesus was the son of God. They don't proclaim him as Christ. And so they're saying that's a heresy to say there's there's two in one. And it's proven to be um, uh, a big deal for them. And it, it gives them something to squabble over because there are texts in the Hebrew Bible where literally the spirit and Yahweh's Spirit and Yahweh seem to be together, or Yahweh becomes embodied in one spot, walking with people, and now they have to kind of jump through hoops to make that make sense. So, food for thought. But that's where the idea comes from. So when Jesus arrives on the scene, there's already this idea of the Father and the Spirit. And so all it takes is Jesus Christ proving to be who he says he is, which he does, if they're now to be three. So it's important to understand that the multiple in one is not a new concept. It's the three in one that's a new concept, right? And while the Old Testament doesn't proclaim three in one, it certainly makes an allowance for it, right? Let's see. Yeah, so the two Yahwehs at times appear together in the text, at times being distinguished, other times not. We discussed that earlier, but really important to remember that. So early Judaism understood that portrayal and rationale of the, of the two godhead, right? There was no sense of a violation of monotheism since either figure was indeed Yahweh. That's where we get the N1, right? There was no second distinct god um, running affairs anywhere. So, and during the second temple period, Jewish theologians and writers speculated on an identity for the second Yahweh. Guesses ranged from divinized humans from the stories of the Hebrew Bible to exalted angels. These speculations were not considered unorthodox, but let's see, the acceptance changed when certain Jews, the early Christians, connected Jesus with the orthodox Jewish idea, right? That's where the rub happened when you start placing Jesus in this category folder, and this explains why Jews The first converts to following Jesus Christ could simultaneously worship God of Israel and Jesus, and yet refuse to acknowledge any other God. Jesus was the incarnate, second Yahweh. In response, as Siegel's work demonstrated, Judaism pronounced the two powers teaching as a heresy sometime in the second century AD. So with that in mind, they already have that file folder, so all it takes is Christ saying that he is the Son of God, being who he says he is. So... Now we have that file folder for why we believe in the Trinity. So I want to take a, a minute just to acknowledge a couple arguments because this is like the nerdy, boring stuff to some of you. Some of you will think it's cool. We'll move on from it quick. But in um, Deuteronomy, Moses is giving a big speech, and he gives them what turns into be a, a prayer for them to pray. And in it he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. <laughs> Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord our God is one. Right? He basically just says, the Lord is one. And people take that saying and or that that verse and argue and debate over what that word one means in Hebrew. We don't need to get into it a whole lot, but some people argue that it's strictly numerical. And some people say no, he uses this word when he could have used this one, and this one's even more numerical than the one he actually used. And uh, people say well, it it could still be unification because like um, uh, one grape is the same as one lump of grapes. It's still just that one word. And Those are the two arguments people argue over, but then there's the third argument that goes, why does that really even matter? Because Moses could be writing from his own perspective, from his own understanding of how he views God, and we already see that in ancient Judaism that's something that sort of kind of changed over time, but the likelihood is that Moses had an idea in his head for a duality of God, right, And, and the spirit and the father. But all those arguments are there. They're important to mention because if you pull up Google, you'll find them. If you just Google the word Trinity, you'll probably see people arguing about this, which it's interesting that that's the biggest argument we find. There's so many other things to argue about there, but we argue about that one. Let's see. So everyone else is going to be following up. They're going to be talking about the different aspects of the Trinity, right? They're going to be talking about the Father, Jesus, the Spirit. What do these all mean? I think it's really important to, to give you guys the framework so you, can you, now you understand why, why we believe it, where do we get it from, what's the context, is it new, or is it not new to Christ? And if we can come away with anything, especially as we're going through the Ephesians series, as we are exploring the rest of what we believe as a church, um, let's clear up a little bit of the confusion about how we practically view God, how we pray to God, right, right? Um, because I think that's one thing people get confused about with the Trinity. Do I pray to the Father? Do I pray to the Son? Do I pray to the Spirit? What am I doing? Who am I actually talking to here? Stop thinking of, of God as a strictly a, a hierarchical thing where, you know, there's only God the Father and these two other people would kind of just help him run the show. Stop thinking of God that way. Start thinking of God as the relationship between these three people because at his heart, he is community, even between himself. So our God at his core is perfect love and perfect unity and community, even with himself. He is a family. So ever since page one, before page one, our God was living in complete oneness and relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And love connects them together in perfect love, perfect unity. The heart of our God is literally desiring and living in relationship with himself, even at his core. And that then extends a hand to us to be in relationship with him as his children. He extends this heavenly family in the desire to include an earthly one, to bridge the gap, right? To build heaven on earth, the, the kingdom of God. He's modeled this, this beautiful unity and belonging in him for us. And we are to emulate that as members of his family. And so think of, uh, By this, you will know that by this, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. It's a it's a beautiful picture. It really is an awe-inspiring epic to to think of, because now the Trinity goes from this weird concept that's difficult to understand to this very practical thing that is the whole reason we're here. It's the whole reason we're doing what we're doing. We're trying to build a community, we're trying to love one another, we're trying to, to build the kingdom of God that is his family, by the way. And now you see that. And the thing that's so confusing to us is what we're trying to build, that that love, that unity, that family is at the core of who he is. You know, God is love. Well, that's the relationship between these three people that serve together as our God, as our Lord. That's awesome. So at his core is what we are trying to be. And that's a huge thing to remember on. So when you're, when you're worshiping God in your day-to-day, it sort of revitalizes you because you're, you're trying to find motivation every day, right? You're trying to, to find that thing that drives you. You're trying to, to love one another and trying to do all these things. You're trying to emulate God, and you're not emulating some confusing entity that's difficult to understand. You're emulating somebody that's doing that, and at their core— is everything that you are trying to be together as a family, and he wants that same thing for you. So if you take anything away from this, please take away that framework that God is the relationship between these three people. And it's cool because it's that unity and that community that he has at the very core of himself that extends to us, that we get to emulate. That is at its core the light That drowns out all the darkness by which the rest of the world will see God. That's the key. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all the examples that you give us. Some that are easy to understand and see, some that take a little intention. And for the love and the power that you give to us and for the family that we get to be a part of the family that you started long, long, long ago, the family that you are at your core that you extend to us. We love you. We praise you. Amen.